It's good to see uh, all of you, a few of you. <laughs> so you get an extra uh, star in your crown today because, right, you didn't let that snow and ice scare you away. The Morning, Eskimo Sarah. Club. There you go, the Eskimo Club. Um, so, uh, very broadly, remember, we're following and continuing in our year of theology. This is the book we're using, I'm using. Most of you probably don't even have this book, Faith Seeking Understanding. But this is kind of providing a guideline, the skeleton for where we are. Uh, in this two-week chunk, we're talking about humanity as creature, sinner, and new being in Christ. What exactly is that all about? We'll review a little bit today, and then we'll get into the new material. But before we even do that, let us pray together. Almighty, gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this new day, another opportunity to gather as your chosen called-out people in this place. We thank you, God, for this precious time where we can come together and consider uh, your word, consider um, our understanding of you and how you have revealed yourself to us. Send your spirit to be with us and open our hearts to receive even more this day. Open our minds that we may learn, and not just learn for the sake of knowledge, but learn for the sake of understanding your, your world, your creation, how we are, how we uh, exist and coexist in this world with you and with one another, and help us to be drawn by your spirit to that new being in Christ every day on that path of sanctification. Let us consider all these things as we say together. Amen. Okay. So, oh, I never actually did. Could you, could you put these down spots, or not the down spots on, but the rest of it on? Since I got my, I got my eyes lasered a year ago, right? Because I was sick of having glasses. And my vision in the dark, it's just like, I can see it, but I'm not quite sure, right? So, a year ago, it was a lot better. Now, I know it, right? I've got all the, oh yeah, anyhow. There we go. We're getting some more lights. Okay, so uh, before we jump into the new stuff for this uh, this week, let's do just a very brief review and you've got it there. You don't need to look at it, right? Because you know it already if you were here. And if you don't, I'm going to tell you. Um, so the Bible and Christian theology give expression to the mystery of the dignity and danger of human beings in three related affirmations, right? So these are three things that we can say about humanity, all interlacing, but there's some kind of uh, tension here. So we are created in the image of God. Couldn't we just stop there? Wouldn't that be nice? But no, we can't stop there. We also have to affirm that we are sinners. And what do sinners do? We deny and distort our created being. And we, but, but thankfully, we don't stop after number two, because if we did, we'd be in, in, in trouble, right? Thankfully, we move on to number three, which says we are forgiven sinners, enabled by God's grace to begin life anew in faith. I love this. To serve as Christ's disciples in love and to move in hope toward the promised fulfillment of life and the coming reign of God. 
So it's not, as we talked about a lot last week, it's not just this static thing. It's not good or evil. It's not just, you know, I'm created in the image of God, and isn't that nice, and, you know, I'm go about my life, and, or I'm a sinner, and I'm redeemed by God, and I'm going to go about my life. No, there's this, there's this sense of motion forward towards the coming reign of God and the kingdom of God. And so um, there's this sense of motion and movement towards hope, expectation, um, and we're, we're still on the way, right? Um, but what do we understand by image of God? We talked about this a lot last week. Um, the phrase image of God in the Latin we may hear, imago dei. Uh, what does that mean? There are at least five major uh, uh, camps on this, and some of them were a long time ago people thought this, and they don't think it anymore. Uh, and, and some of them are relatively newer ideas that people didn't think a long time ago, but we do now. So uh, do we physically resemble God? Is being made in the image of God mean that we have a rational nature? Does it mean that we have dominion over the earth? And remember, we talked about that last week, that dominion over the earth talks about responsibility for the earth, not just control, right? There's the idea that we are co-creators with God. Uh, or is it that we have freedom? But freedom is a tricky word, right? We have particular understandings of that as being uh, individuals. But what I love so much about what Migliori really emphasized is that as we think about who God is at core, God is Trinity. God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. So if that is the deepest into the mysteries of God that we can go, we can't maybe say anything else about God, right? What if that's it? What we can say is that God has always existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so in the community of the Trinity is how God is known. So everything we understand about God comes out of that. And so to be made in the image of God, what is the verse and the most basic thing we know about God? God is made in, God is in community from before the beginning. God is in community, and so being in the image of God, the number five here is that we are called to be in relationship in our very being, right? We said last, I said last week, no man is an island, right? We cannot exist by ourselves. We have to be in community. We can't just decide, whoop, I'm going to be born this day. But you, you, know, you had, a, you had a, a mother, you had a father. There is a sense of community from the beginning, but then you seek out community and new community ever after, right? And I love this, this other line. That's why I brought it back. The image of God is not like an image permanently stamped onto a coin, but it's more like an image reflected in a mirror. So there's not this sense of um, finality, like this is all that there is to it. It's this sense of, you know, I move a little over here. It looks a little different. There's some, um, there's some sense that it's it depends on your perspective, right? Okay, so um, Reinhold Niebuhr puts it. So now, now we're moving into talking about sin, right? All last week, image of God. What does that look like? And uh, but now today we need to talk about sin and new being in Christ. So Niebuhr, and this comes from Igliori, um Niebuhr says that. 
The Christian view of human nature is involved in the paradox of claiming a higher stature for human beings, but also taking a more serious view of their evil than any other anthropology. Right. So what does this mean? So as we understand last week, well, all we did was talk about anthropology. I maybe said the word once, right? But we talked about what is humanity? What are we? What how are we who we are and why are we who we are, right? Those are all the questions we dealt with. But we talked from the from image of God and creature. We can't just stay there. We also have to admit that there's this sense of sin and evil, and those two things need to be held in tension. So the question is um, that I want to spend about five minutes talking about at tables is I want us to talk about sin, can we define sin? What would you say, right? Do we do the seven deadly sins? Is this where we go? Um, and don't look this up on Merriam-Webster on your phone. Um, <laughs> um, you know, is, are they just lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride? Is that, is that it? How do we understand how would we define sin? So you don't have to have the exact right answer because there's not just one answer. There's I'm reading a whole book right now just called Sin, right? Not the way it's supposed to be, a breviary, a short book, 200 pages, on sin. Uh, he goes in, he pretty much defines the sin for 200 pages. We don't have to read 200 pages. We, have, we know it every day, right? We experience it in our lives. So what is our own definition of sin? So I'll give you just a few minutes to um, talk at tables, and then we'll talk back in the big group about three, four minutes. So, who has, we could go with a short definition of sin, we could go with a long definition of sin. What do we got? Anybody got anything? Nancy? First of all, we know it when we see it. Oh, okay. Uh, we have denying God, being apart from God, putting trust in things other than God, Ooh. putting ourselves before others, and then um, it's sort of variable, like some people think gambling is okay, and other people think that's not okay, Okay. Um, that, that's, or drug use, whatever, things okay. like that. Okay. Were you the table leader? Self-appointed. She's the one who can write. Okay, so even just in what you had said, there is this sense of uh, we sin against God. So on the vertical plane, we sin. But then you started uh, talking about how we sin against others, right? So sin is not just a single thing. It, there, it's, it's a multi-headed hydra, right? But it's, it, in some ways, it's also going up and down. It's going towards God. We sin against God, right? Is it the psalmist that says, against you alone have I sinned, right? But then there's also this sense that we sin against other people, right? And, you know, that still is an offense to God, right? And this comes in part because of our being created in the image of God. And as we sin against others, we are sinning against those who are God-bearers, those who are made in the image of God. So there's this sense of we offend God one way or the other in uh, what we do. Yeah, great. Anything from this table? 
Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Okay. Ten Commandments are a starting point. Anything else there? Just think about it. Okay. And even the God before me, theft, murder, right, etc. Okay. Lust. Do you have something soon here? I'll pop over. Well, it seems we live in fear of the next moment, and we turn to anything other than God to get through the next moment. Oh. We are in sin, which means that's where we are most all the time. So seeking anything fulfillment or trying to trying to put that into yeah seeking anything after other than god yeah okay and the ten commandments also have this the shift from uh sins against god to against others right there's a little hinge um that you know after the, the first half is all about you know you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the, the name of the Lord and your God in vain. And then they, sh- and they shifts halfway through um, towards sins against other people. So that's even there as well. What? Oh, are you the, are you the, are you t- talking for this table? Uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm getting a lot of, a lot of steps in right now. We said that sin, sin, is a state of being and that it's choosing to separate oh. yourself from God and that that creates our actions, which are sins. So that when we, when we commit sins, it's because we've chosen to separate Ooh. from who we should be. A state of being. Okay. Greg? We, we didn't say this in our group, but it's, this is only a conversation for people that are of the Bible. Because the world, there is no sin. Right. It's whatever you want to do. It's, it's right for you. It's not right for me. There is no concept out in the world of this. There's some broader sense of morality and right and wrong. Right? There are, I, I agree with you that in our modern age, there is some sense of subjectivity and relativism. Right? That what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right for me, and maybe what's wrong for you is not right for you. know. People can have differing definitions, but there is a sense that we can all agree that, you know, breaking into someone's house and killing them is probably not a good thing to do. I think that... Yeah, but at a certain point, if you're justifying things that are so beyond the norms of humanity, I think that that's, I mean, yeah, you're, you're living in the, in, the, in the very margins. But for the, for the majority, let's say 99% of humanity would agree that murder is not a good idea uh, and you should be held responsible for that. Oh, yeah, we could spend the whole rest of the class talking about, yeah, war and abortion and all those. Yeah, sure, sure. So, but broadly, let's just say two adults, not in wartime. <laughs> We're putting all these structures on it, right? And not if, pregnant. And not, <laughs> oh, Lord. Yikes. Uh, right. So this, it's a sticky thing, right? It's, oh, boy. Yikes.
Sure. And there's this sense, I, but I, to, to, uh, um, trying to respond to Greg's point, though, there is this sense that for the world, for, the, for non-Christians, those who are not of the Bible, um, it is, um, there is law, and what is legal or not legal, that's kind of the major standard. Below that, I would suggest that, that there are people who are moral and good in the world that may not be uh, of any faith, may not subscribe to any faith, but within our um, worldview, sin is um, something beyond law, right? There is an intersection with law. Most laws, uh, something that is against the law, probably a sin. Is that always the case? Not always the case, right? Um, we can think of uh, tyrannical, dictatorial regimes around the world that impose weird, crazy laws that we would say, that's oppressive. That's not just. So we can't quite say that law, something that's against the law, equals a sin. And so this, is, this comes from uh, Cornelius Plantinga's uh, book, uh, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a Breviary of Sin. And he says, responding to Greg's point, sin is a religious concept. It's a religious concept, right? Uh, if you're not religious... You don't have any concept of sin. And it's not just a moral one. Criminal and moral misadventures qualify as sin because they offend and betray God. Sin is not only the breaking of law, but the breaking of covenant. I love that. Breaking of covenant with one's Savior. Sin is the smearing of a relationship, the grieving of one's divine parent, and benefactor of a trail of the partner to whom one is joined by a holy bond, right? So what I so what I so appreciate about what uh, Plantinga says broadly is that sin is a violation of shalom. It's anywhere where God's shalom is not allowed to be, right? So what is shalom? Shalom in uh, right. If you go to Israel next year, here's a plug for that uh, luncheon after. If you go to Israel next year, you, you will learn that shalom is the way people greet each other, right? It's hello, it's goodbye, but it also means peace, right? Peace be with you. But even, it's not peace just as in the absence of war. It's a sense of wholeness, completeness, everything that, that uh, all, all good is, is encapsulated in the word shalom, and not just our good, not our sense of, you know, I got a big mansion and a Cadillac. No, it's it's God's sense of goodness and completeness. And so when you say shalom, I love it, right? You're, you're wishing the best that, that, that God has for that person, right? What a beautiful concept. Um, and yeah, so sin is a violation of that, saying um, you... This is a place where shalom doesn't, is not present. Yeah? Okay. Sure. Yeah. In a structured, organized society, yeah, that's what society is there for, to keep people in line to keep people safe and secure. Uh, 
No, I think he's saying sin is a religious concept so that um, we in the church can, I mean, we, we, we believe that there is a God. Those who do not believe in there is a, there is a God, they wouldn't say what they're doing is sin or not sin, right? For them, for them in their own concept and worldview, no. But yes, sure. Sure, absolutely. But we have to be careful that that sin does not equal breaking the law and breaking the law does not equal sin, right? Because there are certain things like think of uh, the civil rights movement, right? All all the African-American folks who were being uh, oppressed in major, major ways and it still are in some places and around this country. Um, They chose to break the law in order to try to, because shalom already wasn't there, right? God's justice was not present in their lives, in the society in which they were living, and the laws upheld that lack of shalom. And so they were trying to bring shalom, bring wholeness, bring a sense of equity and justice. Um, But in order to do that, they had to break the law. No, I, I don't think there's. I don't think one is the same. I don't think shalom or sin is breaking the law. I think they're they're. And I'm not necessarily saying I'm not rationalizing or relativizing. I'm saying I think there are certain things that are sin, sinful, that are not against the law. Right? Taking the Lord's name in vain, it's not breaking the law. Uh, we could go there, but that's not. Um, I think what's, what's most important is coming back to this concept of shalom. Is God's justice present? And if God's... Well, yeah, that's what we're here for. I mean, we're in a church, not a, not a civic auditorium. So, yeah. Well, I, I mean, in... in I think he would say that he, yeah, read the whole book. There's a lot more to it. He talks a lot about the sins of society and and the problems of relativism. And um, yeah, he harps a lot against problems in modern day society. And this was written in 1995, right? So this is already 25 years old. So, um, and back then he was saying, what is going on? He had no idea, right? So um, broadly getting back to the concept of sin, I want to also um, talk about, uh, we really could spend a whole class time on just this, but there's a lot more to talk here, uh, talk about here. Um, sin is both an act of commission and omission, right? It's something we do, and it's also something we don't do, right? So um, if we are in a circumstance and in a situation where we can help a, a person in need, and we do not, right? We have an opportunity. We have the means. We have been blessed by God to help this person in this particular way and bring God's shalom. And we don't. Are we, act, are we sinning? Right? This is where it gets a little hard to define because that's not breaking the law. I'm not going to help that person. Well, I'm not breaking the law. I'm just going about my day. But is that a sin of of? Omission. I could have done this, but I didn't. Um, yeah. Um, 
the very bottom of the page, I gave you this quote last week, so I'm not um, at the very end of class to chew on for, for uh, in the week between. But this is a, a great idea that Paul Tillich gives us uh, of estrangement, that sin is really being estranged from God and distant from God. Um, so I offer that up to you as more definitions. Okay, turning to the next page. So that second paragraph right there above fallen humanity. Who can read that for us? So it says, if we are created. Anybody want to read this for us? Thank you, Dan. (laughs) Thank you, Pam. (laughs) If we are created for relationship with God, who is wholly different from us, and for relationship with other creatures who are relatively different from us, and for relationship with other creatures who are relatively different from us, sin is a denial of our essential relatedness to those who are genuinely other. We deny our dependence on the other, who is God, and reject our need for our fellow creatures, most particularly those who seem so totally strange and other to us, the victim, the poor, the leftover person. Seen in this perspective, sin is the depth of human intolerance for difference, intolerance for difference among creatures, and most basically, intolerance for difference between creatures and God. Okay. So there's a lot there, right? The idea that, um, do we have an extra handout? There's an extra handout for you. We're just on the second page. Thank you. Of course. Just there. So the idea here is comes back to image of God. What does it mean to be image of God? And how do we relate to the others, of other, human, other humans who are made in the image of God? And if we reject our fellow creatures, um, is that... Is that sin? And he says it's the depth of human intolerance for difference. Intolerance is sin, right? Um, Which we struggle with a lot because we have this this tribe mentality of anyone who is like us, who looks like us, who talks like us, who goes to the same um, library like us or the same church like us. That's our tribe. Those are our people. And in big and small ways, we say, oh, you know, oh, the, the, you go to the Methodist church. Or, you know, you, you, we have the sense of, oh, you're different. Even if we're saying it in a joking way, there's a sense of separation, right? Um, and that's, that can be, that's hard to, to say. Is that a sin, just to separate and name a difference? No. But when you, I, I wouldn't say so. But, but to s- separate and say, they are so different from us, I'm going to consider them as outside of my community and, and not people in the same way. This is, the intolerance for humanity is, right, the reason behind uh, the Holocaust, right? They said these folks are less than human. But if we as Christians affirm that everyone is made in the image of God, that means that all are worthy, all are valued, and that we call everyone brothers and sisters in and through Christ, 
And if we don't do that, if we say any, any people group, whether it's uh, Jewish people during World War II or if it's um, Mexicans today, right? We, we hear a lot of pol- politicians today saying all sorts of things about all the millions of people in Mexico calling them terrible things, calling them all criminals. Well, I, I think that is, that is not right because we can affirm those people, even if they look a little different than us, even if they speak a different language, live in a different country, they are made in the image of God just as we are. So um, they are part of our tribe, even if we don't, in a human level, recognize it. So that is why we have to consider broadly um, that we our inclinations to tribe mentality are sinful, saying, you are not part of us, I, but I like you. You can come in, but you, I don't, I don't like you. I don't want you to be here. Um, and remember, we're just talking broadly within religious context, right? Because this arena can get very heated in a political context, but we're talking just broadly in a religious context. So we admit that we are fallen, so number one, and this is going to go into a lot more detail. We're probably not going to get into uh, much of it today. But uh, you got it there. If you didn't read the chapter of Migliori, there you've got the highlights. Right? So if being human in the image of God means life and free response to God who freely and graciously addresses us, then sin can be described as the resistance to our essential relationship with God, to God, and our need of God's grace. So from this vantage point, sin is fundamentally opposition to grace. Isn't that something? So, um, and this is where, uh, where he quotes uh, from the Psalms, against you, you alone have I sinned, from Psalm 51. So there's this disruption of, of our relationship with God in this sense that um, we resist all that God wants for us in relationship. Um, and so is, is that, his, his point here, Migliori's point, is that is sin. What is God calling us to as humans? What is God calling us to? This isn't rhetorical. We can answer this. I know where the mic went. Dan has it. What is God calling us to that we might resist, that people resist in sin? Relationship with, with God and one another, Right? Okay, what else do, or how else are we built? What is God calling us to that we might resist? To praise him. To praise him, right? Right? Oh, be, not just do. Yeah. So there's a sense of, of posture and attitude towards God, not just actions towards God. Yeah, it's, it's the way we, we are in our beings. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else want to throw in on this one? Have we had coffee this morning? Have we? <laughs> I don't know. Well, Michael, I still think I, they're giving us not the uh, decaf stuff back there. But <laughs> I think there's an element, too, that we're called to, to serve mm-hmm. in the fact that God is spirit. We are human. Right. The spirit can live within you, but to act out that mm-hmm. we are to be his as Christ was his body, right. 
here. So failure to serve, I think you mentioned it earlier. Great. I guess that's part of being, though. You sense. So we are called to, by God, it's to not serve. do what you want. It's, yeah. It's, it's to do with the purpose of God's will. Right. To serve others. So this, this reminds me of um, a former pastor of mine. His grandmother was very strict um, Southern Baptist Christian lady who had very strict ideas of what sin, wa- sin was. And she didn't play cards. She didn't dance. And she sure did not go to the picture show because that was sin, of course. And uh, one, one of the more interesting lines from when, I, when he told me this story many, many years ago, um, the, the, the line that, that has just uh, captured my imagination really made me think, like, you could, we could dismiss that. We, oh, come on, it's just playing cards. It was just dancing. It's just... But she said, when the Lord comes back, I don't want to be doing anything that is not praising the Lord. And I think that's, even if I disagree with some of her basic base uh, ideas about sin, I think broadly that's a, really, that's a really captivating idea. That do we want to serve ourselves or do we want to serve others and serve God ultimately? And what is our posture? What is our life's purpose? Um, and how do we, um, rather than how do we not sin, how do we live into the life that God has for us? And that is um, the relationship with God and the need of God's grace. So let's move on to number two. Um, if being human in the image of God means responding to God's call to accept our freedom as a gift and to live freely with and for others, then sin in dealing with fellow creatures, takes the dual form of domination and servility, self-exaltation and self-destruction. As in the description of sin in relationship to God, so in the interpretation of sin in the relationship of human beings to each other, we must note the duality of forms. So, um, there's a lot to this, but Ultimately, how do we relate to others? Do we relate to them as peers, as brothers and sisters, or do we see other people as means to an end? You know, if I, you know, butter up this person, I will get X, Y, and Z. Is that our goal in relationship? Or is our goal to to know, to be known, to love, and to serve? Um, and so how are... While we may not like talking about sin broadly, it helps, and it, it helps us to form a lot of other ideas about what it means to be human, what it means to be acting rightly towards other people and not in, in ways of domination and saying, you do this because, you know, I pay you X, Y, and Z. For, I pay you this much to, for you to do this job. Well, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're the boss and they're your your paid worker, they're still a human being, right? But we can all probably tell a story of hearing, a, you know, of a boss mistreating a worker, right? And is that person forgetting that they are both created in the image of God? And is that boss forgetting that and, and sinning and leaning into that? 
Moving on to number three, and then we get into talking about original sin. If being human in the image of God means being open to the coming of God's reign, sin is the denial of human destiny as appointed by God. Once again, to grasp rightly the assault on human openness to God's future, we must attend to the two contrary forms in which it appears, analogous to pride and sloth, domination and servility. So, this is, um, I think this intersects broadly with the point that we as humans have to place our hope in God, right? The idea that, that we are created for God's coming kingdom. We cannot place our hope in this life, this world. Um, we can love and serve each other. Absolutely. That's what we're called to. We are all created in the image of God, but um, we know that something's not right. Plantinga says it's not the way it's supposed to be. And so we put our hope not in our own efforts. Um, you know, I love Star Trek, right? We watched, didn't we watch Star Trek last week? Mm-hmm. Watch like a three-minute clip from Star Trek? Um, I love that show. I love science fiction in general, but the problem I have uh, with most sci- futuristic sci-fi is that there's this sense that we have done it. We have fixed all the world's problems by ourselves. We don't have need for money anymore. Nobody ever gets sick. Uh, we've solved the hunger issue. We have, everything has been fixed. Technology, everything. And now, in the futuristic you know, world of Gene Roddenberry, nobody has a need for God, right? But then they encounter all these other societies where there's still problems and that's that's where i think it starts to break down because yeah humanity may have fixed it which i don't think will ever happen no matter how long we have there will always be places where god's shalom does not reign always places where people are 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 being persecuted where they are um not don't have access to clean water or food, there will always be that, right? Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you. That doesn't mean we should let them be poor forever, right? He's not saying, it's always going to happen, let it go. He's saying, this is, this is always going to be, because we are not yet in the kingdom. The coming of God's reign has not happened yet. And so that means we, yes, we can... Um, be thankful for human ingenuity and technology and for all that it has to offer us. But we cannot put our hope in technology or human progress, no matter how much culture and media says that we can and we should. The only thing, uh, the only place we can put our hope is in God's coming kingdom. Okay, flip over to the next page. Um, we're, we're going to jump into talking about where does sin come from. And we're only going to do this for a few minutes because, uh, wow, this class is just flying by. Um, we started talking about last week, where does sin come from? We talked about the Garden of Eden. We've talked about, uh, and back in December, we talked about where does evil come from broadly, right? And in God's good creation, where does bad come from? Augustine calls it the privation of the good, the lack of good 
yeah, there's good in the universe, but sometimes there's places where there's not so much good, and what we, we call that bad. Just like darkness is the absence of light, silence, the absence of sound, sin and evil are the absence of good, right? But we, uh, we can trace the, through the biblical narrative the beginnings of sin back to the Garden of Eden, right? This is the story um, that we, we've received and we understand uh, as the, be- the beginning of sin. Migliori writes, uh, and I'll just read a few sentences here, that the biblical stories of the Garden of Eden and the fall of humanity are imaginative portrayals of the goodness of creation and the universality of sin rather than historical accounts of sin's origin. In the theological tradition, there has been much fantasizing about the splendor of human existence in the golden age before the fall, but such thinking is not encouraged by the biblical witness. The Bible is far more interested in affirming the reality of sin, the need for sin, and the, pro- the divine promise of redemption. Uh, and, sorry, what did I skip a line? Need for repentance, the divine promise of redemption, then the longing for the recovery of a lost paradise. So, um, we could talk about, is Adam and Eve historical or not? The, the, the narrative, is it historical? We could have that discussion. I don't think we need to have that discussion this morning. Because ultimately, what, what comes from that story, or what we can all affirm is, we are all sinners. Whether or not Adam and Eve ate of a fruit, we can affirm we are sinners. How did we get here? Scripture doesn't. That's really the only story that Scripture talks about and how we got to this place we are. Rather, it's, so it's rather than a, uh, what do they call it? He calls it a protological orientation, right? Be, protological being towards the beginnings. The scripture has instead an eschatological orientation. We're not concerned about where the sin really came from. There's only that, that story. That's it. Ultimately, we confirm we're here, and we're saying we're moving towards the eschaton, the end of sin, evil, and death. God is going to usher in this new age where all those things will be wiped out. All those things will be gone. God's justice will reign. God's shalom will be made known to the whole of the universe, right? So um, he also introduces a phrase I I don't think I've ever heard before. The original sin I've heard, but radical sin. Radix just means the root, right? So this is the root of sin. Where does it come from? Um, And he says that the doctrine, this is the next paragraph, the doctrine of original or radical sin expresses a deep truth about the human condition, even it cannot be adequately, even if it cannot be adequately stated without recourse to paradoxical statements. And among the most important of these are sin is universal, but it's also, everyone has it, but it's also something that we individuals are responsible for, right? Everyone's a sinner, but each of us is a sinner. Sin insinuates itself into all human action, including not only what is widely condemned as evil, but sometimes what is praised as good, right? We can say... We talked a little about last week about how um, it depends on your perspective. Something might look, uh, or was that during the theodicy class in December? I don't remember. But sometimes it's your perspective. 
Where are you on the social ladder? Uh, good things for you might be really bad things for someone else, right? I, I try not to think of this every time I go into Old Navy to buy a pair of jeans. Um, yeah, I'm getting a really good deal on those jeans, but what is the effect of that? Um, and has anyone watched The Good Place? NBC? Yeah. Okay, just one. So, very, very quickly, The Good Place is this, it's a, it's a good little show. It's not quite, I wouldn't call it Christian. It's, it's something. Um, the idea of an afterlife called The Good Place, right? And the idea is that no, well, in the first season, the idea is that someone got into The Good Place who wasn't supposed to get there. And then ultimately, uh, you find out that very, very few people are getting into The Good Place because everything we do today has all these connections and social consequences. So the, the example they tell is of someone 500 years ago who buys a tomato. What's the environmental impact of that buying a tomato? Well, it was just grown right over there in that garden. There's, you know, I, I walked it over here, no big deal. Well, today you buy a tomato and it's a point system, right? You go way down in points because, well, who, who picked that tomato? How far has it come? How long has it been stored? How many people touched that tomato, right? It's crazy things to think about. But, and I'm not suggesting that that is the Christian idea of sin and impact on the world. But it makes you think that we live in a much more complex society. And going back to Old Navy, when I step into an Old Navy, yeah, it's really good for me. This is great. Cheap jeans, 30 bucks. They fit. They're perfect. But who made those jeans? Are they living, uh, are, is shalom reigning in their life? And if it's not, am I part of the cause of that? I have to wrestle with that question. Uh, and then we get into letter C here. Sin is a corruption of the individual person, but it is also active and powerful in public and corporate structures of life. In modern society, there's an increasing tendency to privatize sin, to re restrict it to the behavior of individuals. But against this tendency stands the biblical witness with its emphasis on an encompassing reign of evil, the solidarity of all humanity in the old Adam of sin and alienation. What is this saying? It's not just about the sin that, that, that you commit. It's also about societal sins, right? And who is, who is responsible for those societal sins? You could say, well, no one or everyone. Or, you know, I don't know. But I know that it's something that we confess every week. I am thankful to be in a church where we confess our sins every week. And we don't just confess our individual sins. We confess our corporate sins. And that reminder every single week is important to me because it reminds me that we are connected. We are all made in the image of God, and we are called to be responsible servants and loving one another. Okay. The good news of the gospel, just as uh, if, are you all, one of you was in the 8 a.m. service. Okay. At the 1030 service, right? We don't just say the confession of sin and, you know, a, 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 a sackcloth and ashes and we're done, right? There's a sense of, hear the good news. There is good news following that confession of sin, that God has not left us in that sinful estrangement from God, um, but the gift of God in Christ Jesus is that forgiveness of sin, 
the companionship in suffering and death and liberation for new life in self-giving love, trusting in the grace of God. And on this basis alone, we can approach death as a conquered enemy. The grace of God in Jesus Christ removes that sting of death. And because of Christ, this is from Romans, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And that's really what it's all about. At the end of the day, yeah, we're having this, this great, well, you won't believe we had this weird conversation about sin for an hour in class today. I've never talked about sin so much in my life. Um, at the end of the day, it's not just about sin. It's not just that we were created and somehow we became sinful and God left us this way. Again, we are on a pathway. We are on a journey. There is this momentum forward that God is calling us to sanctification, redemption, and he's not just leaving us here because we are the Lord's. We are made in the image of God and God is calling us to holiness to shalom. And that is really what um, the goal of, of our life in faith is. It is our new humanity, recognizing that, yeah, we have this old humanity. It's not quite right, not the way it's supposed to be, but God in Christ calls us to be new. And so that last page there, Christian freedom is the beginning of a new freedom from the bondage of sin and for partnership with God and others. It's a fresh start based on the humanity of Jesus, right? We briefly talked last week that Jesus is not just an image of God, but he is the fullest image of God. So what is human? What, what does it mean to be human? We're pretty bad examples of it. Jesus is the best example of what it means to be human. And so in our lives, we strive for the humanity that Jesus shows us. How long do I have here? I've still got a few minutes. Um, yeah, you can read all that. I could give that to you. I'm going to actually open the floor for a minute to see if we have any thoughts or questions. Greg. Where are you at? That if there's... Um no bad news, there's no good news. Oh, absolutely. And so the bad news of sin, and therefore the, the gospel that gives us the good news. Um, respectfully want to talk about the, the historical part. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason it's important that it's historical is that if it's not historical, it's theoretical. And if it's theoretical, there can be lots of theories about sin. And the thing that makes Christianity distinctive is that it is historical. And therefore, there is a reality of where sin started. Mm -hmm. Now, it can also be, historical can also be theoretical, okay? And so in that sense, I, I partner with you in that. But I do think to make the distinction that historic Christianity is very important or else we rip out a, a huge part, if not the, the whole basis of which we rely on. And so I think the historical evidence of sin and original sin is very important mm -hmm. undergirding of Christian theology overall. I absolutely agree with you that we have to affirm 
the, that historically humanity is, is sinners, right? We affirm that we, we are sinners. Um, when it comes to historical recognition of Adam and Eve and it, it, did sin enter in the world in that exact moment, that's, um, I think that's, yes, that's there in, in Genesis, it's on the page, but what what's, when we say the creeds, this is the direction I'll go. When we say the creeds, we don't say, I believe in, that Adam and Eve ate the fruit and therefore sin came into the world. We don't um, believe in Adam and Eve in the same way that we believe in Father, Son, and Spirit. And we certainly affirm that sin is here, but it's not, our Christian faith is not based on whether or not Adam and Eve actually existed. And was it 6,000 years ago? Was it millions of years ago? We can, we can argue that, right? That's what, I think that's what's been dividing the church is arguing those fine historical points. Um, my, my goal is to point to Christ ultimately, and Christ is the Redeemer, the one who draws us from sin. And um, that is where the church should build um, and be historical religion, absolutely, on the, on the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So I'm, I'm absolutely in, in agreement with you there. I think what we really need to think about is the fact that that was a human being that can sin. And sure. so as a human being, we're, we can sin. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether that, you know, they were the first ones or the third one or the sure. 10,000th one. It's the fact that we're human and we can yeah. be able to. Oh, we got all sorts of questions coming. Uh, may, may we end with Edith and then I actually have one more thing to, to do. Yeah, no, go ahead. Um, I, I guess I, like Greg, would like to appreciate where we're wrapping up because Focusing on the brokenness just leads to more brokenness. And that focusing on the grace and redemption of Jesus, um, when Jesus says, I came to give you life, I've not come to condemn you, you know, that, that if we're focusing on Jesus, it will take us to those places where sin needs to be dealt with. But it will take us to those places because Jesus is redeeming us, not because of um, pain and destruction. So, you know, um, I'm kind of sorry we didn't spend more. I know. I know. If we had another hour. More on the on the um, what's the solution rather than here identifying the problem. Yeah. And next week we will start into. this Jesus Christ, right? What is the significance of the life of Christ? As a segue to that, I gave you the lyrics for this song last week. I'm going to sing a, a short song here um, because I think it intersects with all these topics. It's The Face of Christ by Chris Rice. Um, and maybe I'll just, won't give it much more an intro than that. He shares a room outside with a dozen other guys 
And the only roof he knows is that sometimes starry sky. A tattered sleeping bag on a concrete slab is his bed. And it's too cold to talk tonight, so I just sit with him instead and think. How did I find myself in a better place? I can't look down on the frown on the other guy's face. Cause when I stoop down low, look him square in the eye. I get a funny feeling. I just might be dealing with the face of Christ. After 16 years in a cold gray prison yard Somehow his heart is soft But keeping simple faith is hard He lays his Bible open on a table next to me And as I hear his humble prayer I feel his longing to be free someday How did I find myself in a better place? I can't look down on the frown on the other guy's face. It's when I stoop down low, look him square in the eye. I get a funny feeling, just might be dealing with the face of Christ. See, you had no choice which day you would be born Or the color of your skin Or what planet you'd be on Would your mind be strong? Would your eyes be blue or brown? Whether daddy would be rich Or if mama stuck around at all So if you find yourself in a better place You can't look down on the frown on the other guy's face You gotta stoop down low, look him square in the eye And get a funny feeling You just might be dealing How did I find myself in a better place? I can't look down on the frown on the other guy's face Cause when I stoop down low, look him square in the eye, I get a funny feeling I might be dealing with the face of Christ. Amen.